Anybody got any uh, Benjamin problems right now? Come on, be brave. Yeah, Benjamin problems? I'm telling you, we are. Um, at the Marshall House, we beat that dude in submission, and he's raising his ugly head. Just as soon as we got it figured out, Black Friday comes along, right? It's horrible. And uh, so uh, be proud. Anybody score some great deals on Black Friday? Whoop, whoop. Sweet, me neither. So I uh, <laughs> did not do that. Um, anyways, we're, we're kind of talking about today this last message in uh, getting ready for Christmas, loving what you have. So we're going to be talking about this all, all morning, loving what you got. Um, but, but speaking of shopping and Black Friday and sort of thing, I, I'm, this is serious. This is serious. Have you heard of the game called Mall Madness? This is new to me. I did not hear about this before. Apparently it's been out for a long time. Mall Madness. It's kind of like Monopoly, but here's a description. I'm not making this up. Here's the description of Mall Madness by Hasbro. Here it is. Um, quote, will you be the first one to lose your money? You are let loose in a shopping mall with 200 bucks. Go to it, spend it all. And when you spend every cent and you've bought six different items, go back to the parking lot and you win. Isn't that horrible? If anyone have bought that for my kid, take it back. Like seriously, that's horrible. I cannot believe that that's out there. Mall madness. Do, don't confess if you own that. Right? Just take it home and uh, slip it in the trash. It's horrible. Apparently, they've come out with a speaking model, and it tells you of like blue light specials as you're playing this thing. It's very cool. Um, recent survey among teenage girls: ninety-three percent of teenage girls say their favorite pastime is not texting. You would think it would be texting, right? You would think it would be texting. It's not boys. It's, you guessed it, it's totally shopping. So we're going to be talking about this this morning. We're going to be talking about this whole thing of coveting and, and dis, discontentment. Um, and by the way, lest you think that, uh, it, maybe it's going through your brain because when I was, I was writing this, it was going through my mind too. Like, great, this is another can't be an American type talk. And like, oh, this is lame, you know, that we live in this uh, land and we have so much blah, 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 blah. That's actually not what this is about. All right, so just kind of set that aside, wipe that aside, because here's the deal. Every single person, doesn't matter where you live, what country, what, what, what time in life, struggles with discontentment, struggles with this issue. How do we know that? You just roll back the clock a couple thousand, four thousand years, and you already find it. It's in the Big Ten. The Big Ten Commandments, number ten is, you shall not covet. Sound familiar? Yeah should not covet anything that belongs to your neighbor. So that you shall not covet. You shall not want and do that and be obsessed with the stuff that you don't have. And last time I remembered, this was a bunch of people that were kind of walking around in a desert. Can you imagine? <laughs> Dude, his tent is way better. <laughs> I'm building an extension on a mine, you know. And, and uh, look at his stepping stones and his sandals. The bomb sandals, you know, and stuff like this. But they, they apparently had this issue. And so, lest you think it's just an American thing, it's a, it's a human thing. It's a human thing, this coveting, this discontentment, this dissatisfaction. And so for the next 30 days, we are going to be deluged with all kinds of stuff to try to get us to feel dissatisfied, discontent with all the stuff in our life. And this is the season of coveting. So prepare yourself. And that's why we're actually doing this message right now, to help us be able to, you know, to, to, to deal with the next 30 days. So you've got to ask yourself, what is coveting? Coveting is, 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 can be described as this undes, uncontrollable desire to acquire. This uncontrollable desire that I have 
to acquire stuff. Now listen, it, it's not bad though. This whole desire to, to acquire stuff is not bad. In fact, I, th- I believe that God put that in us. You just take a look at squirrels, they acquire nuts. They're really good at it. See, they were kind of programmed to do that. That's kind of how they were made. Birds are kind of pre-programmed to acquire bird things. Like, it's not in my notes. Um, so I'm, you know, off the cuff on this one. Twigs, I'm guessing. <laughs> I don't know. Stop that birds acquire. Bad example. I'm going to strike that for next service. But anyways, the world is filled with all kinds of stuff. Exciting, wonderful, uh, good, desirable things. And, and, and God has given you, and he's given me the desire to acquire them. So it's not bad in and of itself. But here's the bottom line. I think anything uncontrolled in our life just can lead to a major problem. And, and coveting and acquiring this desire leads to discontentment. And discontentment totally leads to this dissatisfaction with what I have. So I finally get to the point where I don't even love the stuff I have anymore. And so the title of this, this our time to get, together is love what, love what You've Got, but don't, it's not like, oh, I'm worshiping what I've got. I'm just satisfied with what I've got. But see, this dissatisfaction, this discontentment, this acquire more and more and more and more just leads me on this rat race that's just never ending. You with me? Dude, I'm on that. I wish I could say, I've totally mastered that. No, no, I haven't. Just, just check it out. When I think like my talk is going to be really bad, I go out and I buy a new shirt. If you see me wearing a new shirt, just pray for me. Because seriously, I know, it, it just somehow makes me feel better. That's lame, but it's true. And, and so I'm dissatisfied. I'm not content. I have to like fill myself up with new shirts, you know, or something like that. Very shallow, but it's true. Don't judge me. All right, so here's the deal. This morning, I want us to just take kind of a, an effective look at, 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 at this wanting, this thing of always wanting to have more. And we're going to just take a, a look at the, the effects of that in our life. And then I want to sort of turn the corner and I want to kind of, kind of think together and develop a, kind of a strategy and a plan to engage true contentment. And is that possible? Is it possible to really be content? So that, that's what we're going to be talking about this morning, especially with the stuff that God has given, given me and what he's given you. So, as always, and I, I'm sorry, I sound like a broken record on this, but as always, grab your program, because I'm going to give you some, there's no way you can remember any of this stuff, because uh, there's too much stuff here. So, grab your program, I will tell you the one thing, if you, if you refuse to write anything down, I will tell you the one thing for you to remember this morning, and, and it'll come a little bit later, but take some notes, because here's the deal, I really would love for you to continue the conversation. Just don't, don't leave it on, on Sunday morning, continue the conversation with God, it's great Great uh, material this week to be able to just sit down and, and ask the questions and reflect back to God and in your prayer life and say, God, man, is this true? Where am I at on this thing? Help me to wrestle through it. And so that, I, I'd love for you to, to pick up the ball and do that. Here's what we're going to do. The scripture is pretty clear that there are several consequences, and, and, and five that I'm going to bring up right now. Five consequences that we face when, that when we do not control this, this drive to acquire more and more and more and more and more. There's consequences to that sort of living. There's consequences to just totally living in discontentment, being dissatisfied with what we have, this drive to acquire. And here's the first one. The first one is, is just total fatigue, total fatigue. I'm going to bust through this really fast. In our push, push to get more and more in our life, we overwork. Does this sound familiar? We, we take on second jobs. We work our fingers to the bone. We toil. It's the rat race. Everyone's tired. Proverbs chapter uh, 23, verse 4 says this. You can see it on the screen. It's just real short. Don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. 
What are you supposed to do? Restrain yourself. Don't tire yourself out. Don't, don't wear yourself out. Uh, the paraphrase here, and I'm, this is my paraphrase, it, it, it's dumb to wear yourself out. Don't do it. It's not worth it. Just trying to get more and more and more. So this acquiring of more, it'll just leave you sapped of, of, of energy. Here's the second one. This drive to acquire leads us to debt. <laughs> yeah. No, no newsflash there, right? Total debt. And, and uh, this is not on the screen. Just listen to Ephesians, uh, Ecclesiastes, rather, chapter 5. It really kind of says this. If I were to sum up several different verses, it kind of just says this. The more money you have, the more money you spend. The more money you have, the more money you spend. Discontentment, this drive to acquire budgets. It totally does. I said the B word, budgets. I know, it makes a lot of us cringe. But it does. Discontentment totally destroys that. See, sometimes I think we get trapped in this thinking that... Um, the problem is I don't make enough money. No, the problem is um, it's not that you don't make enough money. It's just that we want too much. It's just that the drive to acquire is just insatiable appetite for more and more and more takes over. The average American puts $1,300 on credit for every $1,000 they earn. Wow. So that's called deficit spending. And the, the only people who get away with that is the government. And sooner or later, it's going to catch up to everybody, right? Because you can't just keep spending into deficit. It catches up. You've got to balance that. So when we, when we drive to acquire more and more and more all the time, we, we are left fatigued and tired, and we are left in debt. There's a great quote. If the grass is greener on the other side of the fence, you can bet the water bill is higher to you. It's always going to cost more. Here's the third one. Third one, when it comes to uh, the drive to acquire, third thing that haunts us is worry. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 12. Workers may or may not have enough to eat, but at least they can get a good night's sleep. The rich, however, have so much that they stay awake worrying. See, when you and I focus on things and stuff and acquiring, it always inevitably leads to, to worry. The more you have, the more you have to worry about, right? Because you start worrying about how do I protect it, and how do I save it, and how do I invest it, and how do I insure it, and how do I avoid paying taxes on it, and how, how can I keep from losing it? And the more I have, the more I start to worry and worry and worry. And so that's where the Bible says workers don't normally have that problem, right? They check out and they come home and they, they sign off the clock and they come home and they, they watch a little TV and they get a bite to eat and they love their wife and they go to bed and they sleep well. That's what it says in Ecclesiastes here. But, but who worry? The rich man. Rich man who comes home bringing his work with him. He's frustrated all the weight of, of riches and acquiring the wealth and all this stuff. He's thinking about all night. And I've heard it said, I've heard it said that insomnia increases with income. I don't know if that's true. But insomnia increases with income. But here's the deal. By, by probably American standards, I'm not like super rich. And, and I think most of us would probably be in that, that you know, we're just saying, ah, oh, we're getting by. But by the worldly standards, oh, man, it was so great. You know, for the last uh, couple, couple uh, summers, been able to, to get out of um, town, and uh, Rebecca has gone to Honduras, and, and uh, I see uh, several of the other ones. Paula's, there you are, Paula. Where are you, Paula? I just saw you a moment. Hi, Paula. We go to Russia together, and there's others of you that are in here and get away. And if you've ever traveled outside of the country, and be, it, is, it is a relief not to have to worry. You, you just don't worry. There's no email. Oh. There's no voicemail. Oh, there's no, well, you do have to pay bills. But you don't have to think about it, you know? And all this stuff, it just melts 
away. The more stuff you have, the more you have to worry, the more you have to keep up on it. Here's the fourth one. You add all these three, the first three things together, fatigue, debt, worry, and you get this fourth one. This drive to acquire leads to conflict. Leads to conflict. James chapter 4, verse 1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from the desires that battle within you? See, conflict comes when we're always wanting more and more. And the number one cause for divorce in America is what? It's financial tension. It's arguments over money. It's arguments over stuff, our possessions. When I'm not happy with what I've got, but I want what you've got, there's going to be conflict in our relationship. There's going to be conflict in my heart. And not only that, but, but then people start sacrificing all kinds of stuff in the midst of this conflict. They start sacrificing their values and, 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 and moral integrity and all of this stuff and all kinds of things in order to get more and more and more. And people will even go to the nth degree and sacrifice relationships additional dollar. Maybe you've heard of the, the lady who won the lottery. Did you hear about this lady who won the lottery? She won $17 million. Can you imagine that? $17 million. She called her husband and she said to him on the phone, she said, I just won the lottery. I'm worth $17 million. And her husband said, great, warm weather or cold weather. And she said, it doesn't matter as long as you're gone when I get home. People will sacrifice relationships over stuff and acquiring more and more. Here's the last one. The effect, if we drive to acquire, is this last effect, is dissatisfaction. Dissatisfaction. Ecclesiastes chapter... The world is never satisfied with money. Nor the one who loves wealth with big profits, more smoke. It's totally true. But see, think, things can bring happiness for a while. I mean, man, I, I think back on a lot of the stuff that, that, that even Beth and I have acquired. I totally am happy for a while. The thrill is good. It's intoxicating for a little while. But, but even as Ecclesiastes says here, the excitement wears off. And see, none of this is new. I'm not telling you anything new today. And even C.S. Lewis said, man, we need to remember more than we probably ought to be taught. We need to remember things like this. And so none of this is new. But yet I'm still trapped in it. We're all still kind of trapped in some level of our life in this acquiring of more and more stuff. Thinking that it'll, it'll excite me. Thinking that it'll thrill me somehow. And when I open up the package and I go, woo, yeah, that's awesome. Whether it be furniture or a piece of art or new gadgetry or new car or whatever it might be, it does actually thrill for a while. But even as Ecclesiastes says here, it starts to fade. And it doesn't keep me permanently happy. And I know that. So what do we do? Go get more stuff. And it's almost like I'm a junkie. Do you feel that way? One thing to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next. And we don't even realize we're doing it. And it wears off. I, I, you know, I think this is just part of being human sometimes. That we enjoy change, that we enjoy new things. That we, we don't want to have the same stuff all the time. And pretty soon I've, I've got to redecorate and remodel and, 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 and rearrange and do all these things. But they don't provide permanent happiness. In fact, how many of you actually remember the gift, your favorite gift that you got last Christmas. Anybody? 
Wow, that's awesome. Like one person does. How many are regifting? No, I'm kidding. Yeah, I, like, I don't even remember. I can't even tell you what I got for Christmas. I can't, I, let alone my favorite thing. I can't even tell you what I got. Because the thrill totally wears off, does not bring lasting happiness. So there you go. The drive to acquire. Drive to acquire brings about tiredness, being fatigued, indebtedness, worry, and conflict. If I just, just continue to go after it, this dissatisfaction. So that's the message today. Merry Christmas. Do you feel good? Feels great, doesn't it? Oh, man, it's just so full right now. Thank you for, for doing that. So the question then, and we're, this is where we're going to turn the corner. The question is then, what's, what's the antidote? According to God's word, what's the antidote? Or, or should I say, is there an antidote? As we look at God's scripture, is there, is there ever a place in my life where I could truly, truly appreciate what I've got? And is there a, a time where I can really, truly be satisfied with what God has given me? And what does that look like? Is it possible? Because I've got to tell you, and, and, and maybe you need to take the temperature in your heart too, but I am discouraged by this a little bit. Now, a, a lot I'm discouraged by this. Because I, I constantly, Beth and I, and I don't think we're abnormal. I really actually don't. We constantly have these, these, these conversations like, man, I feel like our house is small. Do, do you have these conversations? It, it really actually comes when I'm working on sermon stuff or I'm trying to study or, or, or whatever it might be, having a quiet moment and things are flying around my heads and things are breaking and kids are running through playing wrestle tag and freeze tag and, and all this kind of stuff. I'm like, our house is too small, right? And so we have a conversation and, and, and it always ends up, but, but could we just die and grow old in this house? Yeah, I guess we could. Yeah, no, no, we could totally do that. That's the right thing to do, right? Or, or how long do you drive the old car? I would just, I would love a new car. And by the way, just, I'm just totally telling you publicly, I love cars. I really do. Anybody like cars? I love cars. I love the smell. I love the fit. I love that there's, there's no rattles. I love the fact that things work. And yet I drive an old car. And, and, and I know, I know you're like me. I know some of you in here are like me. I want a new car. Ah, but that's not the godly thing to do. So you just kind of push it down the side, Right? See, there's this constant tension, and I just don't want to push it down anymore. What does the Bible say about being really satisfied? Am I satisfied? No, I'm just stuffing it. I'm just stuffing it. So what does the Bible say about satisfaction? (sighs) I I really want to get this, and I I hope you're with me on this deal too, because it is a constant, constant, constant fight. So the other day, Addie and I are sitting watching TV, and there's this great show called Cool Tools, it's pretty self-explanatory. They have tools. They're very cool. And, there, it's, and they go through them. And, and for instance, hydraulic-powered vices. Oh, I never knew I wanted this. So, guys, on your workbench outside, you mount the thing, the vice, right? And you put the stuff in it, and you have to manually do it. Who has time for that? Who has time to turn the crank? So what they've got now is they've got the same thing. It looks identical. And this wire comes down into a hydraulic foot thing. It's not the real term. And you, you push it, and it closes. And I'm sitting there, like, drool, right? And my, my, my daughter, seven years old, she, she looks at me, and she goes, you totally need that. <laughs> <laughs> and I have this inner conflict. Part of me is really proud at this moment. I'm like, darn right I know that. <laughs> yeah, I want that. So I've got this conflict of being proud that my, my daughter has pointed this out, 
Um, and, and yet, at, you know, at the same time, feeling like, no, I don't. But the other side of me is go, yes, I do. Yes, I do need that. So there's this conflict going on. I mean, I need 10,000 pounds worth of crushing power. On the TV show, they're crushing locks. They're crushing coconuts. They're crushing two-by-fours. Has anyone desired to do those things? Please, please, please. Thank you. Thank you. Let's, let's hook up for coffee afterwards, Mitch. I have that desire. I just, I totally do. <laughs> and all, all these things are going through my mind. Bricks. I would love to crush bricks with things. And, and, and so I love this. I love this. But, but then I stop. It's over. We've got a commercial. The euphoric moment's passed. And seriously, and then I realized, did I mention that was yesterday, by the way? <laughs> then I realized I'm talking on this today. I'm like, great. Thanks, God, for the real life uh, story that I can now share tomorrow. And it's true. It's true. Cool tools, all it is is just hopped up, uh, you know, uh, what is it, QVC? That's all it is on steroids. And I don't need the stuff, but, but it's duped my little girl too. Just, anyways. So back to the question that I got sidetracked on a moment ago. Is there an antidote? As we look at scripture, is there an antidote for true satisfaction so we can get away from this bigger and better mentality? Is that possible? Let's take a look here. Here's a tiny little phrase, and if, if you're not taking notes, I would love for you to just memorize this phrase with me, because this is actually the, 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 kind of the cool part that I want to leave with you for, for living this out in the, the weeks and the, the months, years to come. If you're writing it down, here it is. It's godliness. It's a little math formula here. Godliness plus contentment equals great gain. Godliness plus contentment equals great gain. Would you just do this? Just humor me, because I think if we say it, it's going to stick with us. Say it with me, all right? Godliness plus contentment equals great gain. Just one more time for fun. Godliness plus contentment equals great gain. I wish I could tell you that I came up with that, but I totally didn't. It's straight out of God's Word. See, the Apostle Paul is using this phrase in 1 Timothy chapter 6. And before I actually read that passage to you, I want to give you just a little background here. Here's the deal. First of all, you might recognize Paul, Paul is writing these letters, and he, he writes these Pauline epistles, and most of his letters are written to churches. But there's a couple of the letters that are actually just written to, to individuals. They're more like um, kind of leadership-type uh, letters. And so in Timothy, that, that's who he's writing to. He's writing to, to Timothy, and he's giving him some leadership-type lessons and some wisdom and, and, and so after, at this point, Paul, Paul has been out of prison. He's actually in, in between prisons right now. And he's been out of prison, and, and he takes the opportunity to kind of travel around and see kind of how some of the churches are doing. And so he travels around Asia and, and Macedonia. And, and when he returns, he goes, he goes to Ephesus, the church that, that, that is in Ephesus. And he's kind of startled by what he sees there a little bit. And, and what, he, what, he, what he sees is that there's, there's this widespread false teaching that's happening in leadership in Ephesus. See, some of the leaders are, are gaining financial rewards for, for, for leading churches. They're, 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 making, they're making money. And they're, and they're, they're, they're saying that they're, they're Christ followers, and who knows what's really going on in their hearts. But, but whatever it is, they're financially gaining for what they're doing. Their motives are not correct. And so Paul kind of sets the, the, the record straight. And here's what he says to, to Timothy in uh, chapter 6, verse 6. And here it is on the screen. Ah, and here's the phrase. But godliness with contentment is great gain. But godliness 
with contentment is great gain. Verse 7, for we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Verse 9, people who, who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. Godliness plus contentment equals great gain. I want to take just a few moments and I want to tear that apart and really ask the question, Paul, Paul, what are you saying to us? Really, what does that really, really look like? I understand what the words are saying, but what does that really translate to my life like? And taking, taking this first word, Paul starts off with this word godliness. And if I can read to you this, this definition here, godliness is defined as God-honoring, a God-honoring manner of life that issues from a true knowledge of who God is. A God-honoring manner of life that I'm living in a godly way, not because somebody's forcing me to or because I'm just following a set of rules. No, it's not that. I'm living in a God-honoring way because of the knowledge that I have of who Jesus is and who God is, the saving knowledge of who he is. In other words, God, godliness, is, it's, it's literally a product. It's a product of, of my heart that has been forgiven by God. A heart that's been redeemed by God. It's, it's, it's a change. It's an empowering of the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Godliness is character in me. It's, it's God's character in me. It's, it's literally God transforming me. Can I create godliness in me? No. I can't do that. Godliness is God creating himself in me. It's transforming my life, my behavior, and the context of the, the relationships in my life, the, the outward display of my life. Um, it's Christ in me. It's a heart dedicated to God. Here's, here's what it's not. <laughs> Godliness is not living in a compound with high fences and machine guns and waiting for Jesus to come back. And I think that's kind of what Paul ran into a little bit in the church's Eph- Ephesus. They were just kind of playing it. They were, they were kind of amassing their stuff. They were kind of building it up, all their fortune, and kind of, kind of looking out for themselves. They didn't care about anybody else. They only cared about themselves. And so Paul set the record straight here. He says, listen, you want to experience great gain? <laughs> you, you want pure satisfaction? And I'm, by the way, I'm answering in my heart, I'm answering yes to all of these things. Do I want pure satisfaction? It starts with you and I putting God first. This godliness. He did not say in, in 1 Timothy 6 here, he did not say great gain is just by contentment alone. No way. He starts off with godliness. It starts with putting God first. It starts with a true relationship with the Father. Now, I I totally believe that some people can probably pull off contentment without God. But I don't think it's complete. I don't think it's everything that he desires it to be. Because then it's just me fighting against my sinful nature. Man, that's not going to last very long. But when I compile that with godliness, God's character being built up in me, something that can only come through him in my life. Ah, now that, now that is a winning combination to tracking down contentment. Then Paul throws in the second word here. Godliness plus, what was it? Contentment. Godliness plus contentment equals great gain. So what is contentment? Contentment, if, if we were to take a look at it in Greek standards, because it was kind of the word of the day, it was, a, it was this, this quality, this Greek quality, which means this, this is what it meant in the Greek, uh, sufficiency in self, self-sufficiency. 
And uh, it, it, it means that, that in spite of all the outward uh, circumstances going in my life, I am self-sufficient. Can you see the Greeks beating their chest right now? That totally is the Greek culture, right? I'm just seeing 300, except they were Spartans. You know, and, and this whole, this whole, ah, oh, warrior, I'm Greek, you know, and, and, and I'm self-sufficient, I can control my surroundings, and it's all me, it's all me. That's contentment. But, but Paul takes this word, which would have been culturally very relevant, and he kind of flips it around. And he says, yeah, it does have to do with self-sufficiency, or it has to do with sufficiency, but not self-sufficiency. See, contentment, when it's compiled with godliness, equals God-sufficiency. It's sufficiency not in me, it's sufficiency in God. See, contentment then, godliness plus contentment equals great gain. In that sense, in what Paul is saying here in verse 6, it's a product of you and I. Contentment is a product of you and I being satisfied on the inside. It's you and I being satisfied. What's the antidote? I think we're getting closer here. I think, I, I think this, is, this is really what it is. Is you and I, is there a true satisfaction on the inside? Am I, am I resting in God or am I resting in self? See, contentment runs in opposition of coveting and and dissatisfaction because I'm realizing that it's really God's provision. It's really God's character in me. It's really Christ in me. It's really everything that he's done and nothing that I have done. It's not self-sufficiency. It's God-sufficiency. It's all of that that equals great gain. That equals great gain. And notice Paul didn't say it just is gain. He didn't say that. He didn't say it's just gain. What did he say? It's great gain. It's great gain. So I like to do this all the time. I don't know if you like to do this, but then I, I try to think about, okay, well, how would I say that? Because I probably wouldn't say gain. I, I don't know. I use that word all the great gain. I probably would say, this is off the chart. This is pure satisfaction. This is mega, mega, mega benefits. You want to talk about fringe benefits? This is it right here. This is life. This is fantastic. This is, this is major, major advancement for my heart. That's how I would describe that. Paul says, great gain. Off the chart. Seriously. Now this is worth talking about. Contentment with godliness equals life that you are not expecting. Life that is fulfilling. Life that is great gain. And don't misinterpret that for a moment here, that it's all necessarily financial. Because whenever we start talking about great gain, I mean, like, let me balance my checkbook. This is great. I love this. That's why I tithe. I tithe to get money, you know? And, and I just, I love God, so I, he will bless me. Blah, 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 blah. Don't run that direction. Certainly, does God bless financially? Yeah. Is he obligated to? No. <laughs> you take a look at Paul's life. That was not his story. After he came to Christ, was that his story? Financially rolling in it? No. And yet, here he says, great contentment. And what does that look like, Paul? It's godliness. It's Christ's character in me. It's him flowing through me, compiled with this contentment, which is not my self-sufficiency. It's God's sufficiency means off the chart living. 
I so badly wanted to do this. I just didn't have any time. I'm, I'm going to go over and they're going to be mad at me anyways. But, so I didn't, I didn't have time to do this, but here I am doing it. I wanted to like, take all these passages through the Bible this morning and just shotgun them out of Paul just saying, life is great while he was sitting in jail. I, I, I'm experiencing incredible joy, incredible happiness. I'm filled, I'm blessed while he's rotting away in jail. But did, was his heart rotting? He was content. Wow. Wow. See, I think sometimes contentment in my little brain, I translate contentment to I've got to settle for table scraps then. See, I do this. Do you do this? This is what my flesh does. Fine, I'll be content. I'll just live this way. (laughs) Now look at me, I'm smiling. I really am. I'm happy about this situation. That's sometimes how I interpret contentment. Contentment is just finish the conversation. Just let's not talk about this anymore. Because when, whenever I wanted something when I was a kid, you know, and an adult or my mom or a dad, just why can't you just be content? Okay, I'll just do that. I'll just stuff it. I'll, I'll, I'll just pretend that, that I don't have any dreams. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want something bigger. I I'll just stuff it down. That's not what I'm seeing from Paul here. That's not the definition of contentment I'm getting. When I, when I look at verse 7 here, and I don't know if it's still on the screen that you can see it here, Paul says this, we brought nothing into this world. We're leaving with nothing. Verse 8, what's his standard of living? But if we have food and clothing, we will be content. Rats! Because that's not how my flesh has been living with contentment. You know, my, my, my flesh lives with contentment as I, I'm, I should be rewarded for being so humble and following Jesus and, and, and doing all these great stuff. I should be rewarded. But Paul says, there's no re- reward the way you think there's reward. And there might be, God bless you. But that's not what contentment is. Contentment is knowing that God's character in you, that, that you're part of something bigger and grander than you can ever imagine. And I really believe that's what he's saying by great gain. Here, here I am. Okay, now I'm getting really personal. Don't tell anybody, okay? Here I am, and I'm dead serious about this. I'm not making this up. Looking at my TV, wishing it was like five inches bigger. You're laughing because you, you have the same thought. I'm not kidding with you. I'm serious. I, I, I looked at our TV the other day. I'm like, man, they have a bigger one at Costco. And Paul is saying, my needs are met if I have food and clothes. And I'm worried about a bigger set. That's why I don't like Paul sometimes. And I'm serious. I read this stuff and I contrast it to my own life. I'm like, man, I've got to refocus on what God is calling me to do. The great gain. What is the great gain? I get to be a part of a larger story that God is calling me to. Not just existing. Not just acquiring junk. Not just living for for the stuff. I get to be involved in the kingdom of God firsthand. What's bigger than that? What's bigger than that gain? Godliness plus contentment means that I get to work with God on kingdom things that last forever. We talk about this all the time in K2. I'm getting a little excited, sorry. At K2, we talk about this all the time. That you and I, when we are followers of Christ, get to be involved in something that will last forever. The lives of people in God's kingdom. That's contentment. 
Philippians chapter 4, verse 11 and 13, Paul publicly proclaims this, this great satisfaction he has in, in God. Here's what he says in verse 11. For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstance is. And can I remind you, Paul was wealthy before God got a hold of his life. And I don't think he was content then. He was wandering spiritually. He was wandering. He's writing this post-wealth, post-stuff, post-acquiring. He says, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstance is, for I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Two additional thoughts, and then I need to, I need to wrap up here. Look at that, that verse there. Actually, if you guys can just wind it back to verse 11 here. Two, two thoughts I just want to tag on this morning here that Paul says here. Because he wrote, he wrote this after. And here's, here's what Paul says. Fill in the blank. For I have learned. Two things about contentment. It can be learned. It can be learned. Which means then that, that I need to become a student of contentment. That there's some kind of educational process here that God, God is going to take me through. That he's going to teach me through his scriptures to embrace contentment. And that's good because I've already confessed to you, it doesn't come naturally for me. And I'm guessing it doesn't come naturally for you. But God says, I, 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 will, I will teach you. And if he says that that's true, if we can learn how to be content, then there's got to be stuff in God's word to teach us to do that. Here's the second thing. It's very encouraging. Here's the second thing. Kind of scroll down there to verse 13. Again, fill in the blank. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. So contentment can be learned. And contentment, I don't have to do on my own. See, I, th- I think that's part, part of the struggle, isn't it? I'll just be content. I'll just, I'll just do it. No, it's knowing that, that, that it's godliness in me. It's, it's Christ's strength in me. It's him changing my life. That's the real power of contentment is the sustaining strength of God. When I don't have contentment, I go to him and I get contentment. God, build that into me. Sustain me. Give me strength. See, that's the cool human part of Paul sitting here saying, I'm in jail. I'm just, I'm telling you, I have found contentment, but I'm in jail. I'm in jail. And then he tacks on verse 13 and says, because of God's strength, I can proclaim these verses. I can say here, I can do it all. I can have contentment, not because of self-sufficiency, because of God's sufficiency. So here, here is the, the challenge that I think we're faced with here. In the midst of all the noise of bigger and better and all the noise of acquiring and all the noise of, of dissatisfaction, and all the, is, can you and I encounter this contentment? I think it starts with, with, with asking God to help me resist comparing myself to others all the time. I think it starts with asking God to, to help me celebrate. And, and we, just, we just finished doing that at Thanksgiving, celebrating what he has already given to me, and giving him thanks for that. 
and appreciation and acknowledging what I have. I think contentment starts with focusing on what's going to last. It says in 2 Corinthians 4.18, we fix our attention not on the things that are seen, but on things that are unseen. What, What can be seen lasts for only a time, but what can't be seen lasts forever. Lasts forever. And I think it starts with you and I asking a series of questions in our life and really reflecting this back into our hearts and taking our own temperature. What am I really living for? Personalize that. What is Andy Marshall living for? What are you living for? Is a primary goal of my life to just exist and surround myself and live comfortably because I deserve it? Is, is the primary goal of my life really keeping, keeping score with my balance sheet? What am I really, really living for? This is brass tacks questions here. This is, this is where it really comes down. This is no holds barred questions. Is, is the things that I think about the things that God thinks about? Are the things that I talk about the things that, that he's building into me? Is, what is it that I spend most of my time on? What am I consumed with? What am I living for? There's a question that I feel like God has been asking me lately, and I want to pose it to you. And as I ask this band, why don't you guys come up? The question is this. If all of this is true then, is Jesus enough for me? If all of this is true, is Jesus enough? See, I feel so immature, and I maybe feel the same way having this conversation because I know that stuff doesn't buy happiness, but yet that still comes up in my flesh, and it's still a continuing struggle all the time. And I think if you're living and breathing in some area of your life, it's probably a struggle. And this isn't a conversation of, oh, ditch everything and you know, live in a hole. That's not the conversation. The conversation is, then is Jesus enough? Where is my true satisfaction coming from? My balance sheet or Jesus Christ? That's why we wanted to have this conversation before Christmas started. Because I'd really like to challenge you for the next 30 days to really make that the focus to focus on what lasts for eternity. And through that, it might be the, the, the act of giving gifts and loving each other. But it right, might really be reflecting on our own hearts and saying, am I satisfied with him alone? You'll notice that, that uh, we're kind of doing a stripped-down worship today. And, and that's why because we're going to spend some time focusing on Jesus Christ, worshiping Him alone, fixing our guys, uh, gaze on Him, trying to cut out some of the clutter and, and just really hear Him. And I want to challenge you to, to take this time personally. And if you could, I'd just like to invite you to, to allow people around you to just kind of melt away and just have this great private moment with God. Maybe you need to reflect on some of those questions and and kind of do a, a checkup.
And then depending on how you answer those questions, am I satisfied? Man, what do I think about the most? What, what comes out of my mouth the most? Depending on how you answer that. Maybe this needs to be a time of confession for you too. And it's, it's fine. You're, you're, you're human. There's going to be so many more times of confession. There's no shame in that. The only shame is not confessing. It's between you and God to come to him and say, man, I've just, I just need to tell you, I'm not satisfied with you. Because look at all this stuff. Look what I do. Look what I keep trying to feed my heart on. Maybe that's the conversation you need to have today. And don't feel bad. You're not going to be alone on that. And for some of you, you, you might just be here at K2 for the first time. You're just like, wow. Okay. I'm not a church guy. I'm not a church gal. I just, I, I'm here today. And maybe the conversation for you is just to ponder. And maybe for the first time to just pray and talk to Jesus. <laughs> And consider, consider his invitation to do life with you. His great grace, his great forgiveness, his phenomenal transformation, his character. Let's worship. Let's take this intimate time. Let's focus. And as we do it, one of, not only do we worship in song, but we love to worship with gifts too. I mean, God has given us so much. I mean, I, I stand here today, and again, I'm, I'm so wealthy. <laughs> I'm so wealthy. So wealthy. God has blessed us. And this is a great act of a chance to just give back to God and just say, God, I know you don't need my money. You just want my heart. And so I worship you that way. And if you're visiting K2 for the first time, feel free. Feel free. I invite you, just let that bag pass. But if you'd like to worship God through giving today, then let's do that. Let's worship.